The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and he has committed to sins. He will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. For three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and something brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Wow. Can you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this for this beautiful day. Thank you for this opportunity to be yours and to receive you. Uh, And as my brother Ryan comes forward to share the message today, I pray that uh, you feel the gap between our thoughts and your words and that you make us whole. What a mighty opportunity just to come together and praise you. Lord, we offer up our hearts to you. In your mighty son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Bella. Good morning, church. Amen. Um, We're going to be picking up from where we left off last week, and it's it's a lot, right? It's a lot of... um, a lot of applications, a lot of uh, uh, things that James was kind of going through about how we should act as a church or as a Christian. But one thing that I wanted to, to kind of tell you and encourage you is that James always, always lands back to Jesus. So don't forget that because it may feel like, man, I have not prayed enough or maybe I'm not praying well enough, or I don't even know how to pray. But my encouragement to you is that it comes back to grace. It comes back to Jesus. And that's what I want to kind of start us off. I don't want us to kind of feel, oh, man, I feel so anxious. So let's do this. Let's breathe in and then breathe out. Can we do that, church? Okay, ready? On three. One, two, three. I think that's more for me than for you, but thank you for indulging me. Now, since the last time we spoke, we talked about prayer, right? And James was talking about why we're praying. He said, pray if you're suffering. Pray if you're cheerful. Why does he say that? Why does he say that? Now, here's, a, here's where I want to kind of land on this. I think a lot of us, Actually, all of us have storms in our lives, amen? Yeah, maybe you're in one now. Maybe the waves are crashing. 
Maybe you're like, you know what? I don't even know how I'm floating right now. And, 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 and I think the tendency is for us to kind of get in our boat and say, you know what? There's a little hole here. Let me plug it out. Let me plug it in. And then let me take out the water out, right? And we're trying to, we're trying to get the water out of our boat because we don't want to sink. And then there are times where we're probably like, you know what? Maybe I'll swim out. Maybe I can beat the currents. Maybe I can beat the waves. But see, the thing is, the thing is, the sea is so much bigger than us, yes? And we're not called to calm the seas. And also, the focus is not on the storm. Sometimes we look at the storm and we're like, you know what? It's too big. It's too much. But Jesus' point, James' point, is never about the storm. The Bible's point is never about the storm. It's about the man who can calm the storm. Amen? And not only that, not only that, but our circumstances doesn't define God's goodness. That despite if we're suffering and we're battling depression, there's abuse, maybe you're battling with addiction. Gosh, I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, God doesn't uh, diminish your storms, but he wants to bring you back and say, I can calm the storms. Come to me. So the invitation of James is come to Jesus, come to him. If you're tired, come to me. If you're exhausted, come to me. That's what James is talking about. And that's where I want us to kind of start looking at this, right? Now, as as I was studying this, um, the last chapter, one of the things that uh, worked on my heart was the idea of prayer, right? And we talked about how we can pray. And that's why last week I asked you if you can read Luke 11, uh, verses 1 through 10. Now, by, ra- by raising your hand, did you guys read it? Happen to read it? It's okay. We're going to go through it today. See, it's grace. It's okay. Um, one of the things that has been working on my heart um, was the idea of prayer in my life. So my daughter was actually, my second daughter came uh, in with me today uh, at early in the morning, 7.30. Um, her name's Naya, and she's amazing. Um, she, used to, she, she used to have this Bible, this kid Bible, and she would read it at night before we go to sleep, right? She started out that way. Uh, and then there are times where she, would, uh, uh, she got better and uh, she just kind of got used to that, and she would tell me, Dad, I'm going to open up in prayer and you close. Right? And she's, she's seven. She's eight. She just turned eight. And, and I'm confessing now, okay, because this is part of our, our, our text today. I'm confessing. This is my confession. Um, there are times when she would pray on and on and on. I don't know if you, if you have kids, but she's like, thank you for my meal today. Thank you for uh, my uncle. Thank you for my auntie. Thank you for my cousins. And then she'll name each one of them. <laughs> right? And I'm sitting there. And I'm looking at my wife, and I'm like, oh, amen. <laughs> right? But see, prayer in its essence is so simple that a child can do it. A child can do it. It's so massive and yet so massive that even the mature believer will never master it. 
Do you guys understand that? Do you guys get that? It's okay. It feels so good not to arrive in prayer. Why? Because it continues to pull us back in. Remember prayer, I said it's covenant, right? It's a covenant initiated by God, bridged by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's prayer. That's prayer. It's not something of a duty from us that we need to do or that we can't do. It's, it's a, it's a glad-hearted obedience because of God's grace. God initiated prayer. You didn't. We didn't. And we commune with him because of that. We commune with him because of that. Now, I want to frame this by reading uh, Luke 11. So if you guys have your Bibles, uh, you have your Bible apps, please read with me. Okay? Let's start with um, Luke 11, chapter 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Let's stop there. You guys know Jesus prays, right? He prays, and he prayed a lot. Now, the, the one thing I want you to notice here is that Jesus was praying at a certain place, in a certain place. Now, what's the implication of that? That Jesus, Jesus, as he went in his ministry, he continued to pray. Now, as we go in our daily lives, my question is, do you pray? Do we pray? Do we commune with God? When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples. What jumps out at you in here? One... His disciples is asking him to teach him how to pray. Now, if we're a little bit of background, his disciples were steeped in Jewish culture. So they prayed. They had a routine of how to pray. Now, why would his disciples, already taught by John, ask Jesus to teach him how to pray? There's got to be something soul-rattling, like soul-wrenching about seeing the Lord, our Savior, pray. There's got to be something amazing watching this man pray, right? Because they knew how to pray. But they're still coming up to God and to Jesus and say, teach me how to pray. Maybe, maybe you've learned how to pray from your church, from your pastors, from your mom and dad, from your friends, but maybe we haven't really asked God, Jesus, to say, Lord, teach me how to pray. There's a sense of submission and humility in asking God, teach me how to pray. And it's okay if you don't know how. And that's why God gave you community. God gave you elders and deacons and pastors and leaders to walk with you. They gave you friends, church, community to walk with you, right? Now we continue on and he said, and he said to them, Jesus telling them this, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And in some verses would say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we, or for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Now that's a lot of things. But you know what? It's simple. It's full of brevity. It's concise. 
One thing that Jesus is not asking for is eloquent speech. Um, we had our men's ministry today, and I'm not going to say any names, but we had such a great time. And I encourage you, if you um, are a man and you have not joined us, it's, it's a really great group of guys that are transparent. But not only that, they're vulnerable. See, there's a difference. You can be transparent and be like an open book, but no pages to read, or you can be vulnerable and, have, and bear your soul with mature Christians. So we were just talking about prayer. We were talking about how prayer can be hard. It is. It can be. We have so many competing priorities in life that maybe 30 minutes is not enough. Or maybe even when we have time, maybe Netflix is better. Or maybe Facebook or Instagram is better. Or maybe San Diego is better. There's so much stuff to do. Now I know that may hurt, but it's okay. We can wrestle with that. We can wrestle with that together. Right? There's a lot of sports going on. There's a lot of events going on. And that's the competing priorities we have in ourselves that we can acknowledge and we can come to God. Lord, you are better than this. And I want to come in communion with you. Now, when, when Jesus says, Father, hallowed be your name, if you notice, when you look at the word Father, that's rarely or almost not evenly used in the Old Testament. The fact was that the name of God was in reverence that they could not say it. So they used uh, markers before the word, uh, the name of, of God. Now, as we move to the New Testament and as Jesus reveals himself, it became an intimate relationship. The Greek word used for the, uh, for the word father is pater, P-A-T-E-R. And it's a, mo- it's a, it's an, uh, a symbol, an informal way of saying, that's my dad. That's my dad. So when Jesus said, pray like this, he's saying, not only is he your God, the creator, he is your father. He is your father. So come to him. Come to him. I don't know what your relationship is like with your dad. But I hope that you know, even if you don't have a great relationship with your dad, you can have a great relationship with your father in heaven. And he's so much better. So much better. When he said, hallowed be your name, that name is set apart. It's set apart. Now, I did, I made, uh, I did a search of how many Ryans are in um, just in Facebook, like friends-wise, and I found uh, 125 Ryans in Facebook alone, just on my friends list. That's a lot. That's a lot. But see, the beautiful thing is, as it said in Isaiah, God knows you by name. He can sort you out by your name. He knows which Ryan I am. He knows which Randall you are. He knows which Michael you are, right? He knows which Matt you are. He knows you by name. As set apart as his name is, your name is also set apart in his heart. So as believers, we can take confidence that Jesus has come and redeemed us by name. 
by our name. It's amazing to think about that. And I hope you can. And I want to move you to worship. And he says, give us each, each day our daily bread. The prayer was not give us our weekly bread or our monthly bread. He said our daily bread. When I preached last uh, four weeks ago, we talked about the prayer of Agar, where he said, Lord, I pray not for abundance nor poorness, but I pray for what I need today. That's an amazing prayer. That our hope in God is secured from yesterday to tomorrow and our present is secured as well. That not only do we look in the greatness and goodness and provision of God, but we allow ourselves to humbly come to him and say, give us our daily bread. You know our needs. And in some of the translation, the bread, some say may talk about the bread of life, Jesus. Yes, it can. But I think Jesus knows as a human, we need our daily bread. He knows what you need. He knows it. He doesn't diminish your storms. He comes right through it and says, let me calm the storm for you. He doesn't just diminish your needs. He said, I will provide. Now, when we can continue, uh, as we continue, we, we get into the, the point of forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is hard. And now we go back to James about forgiveness. So you can come with me to James in the chapter 15 when we can read it together. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Well, now what is it about the idea of confession that's hard for us? I think all of us have skeletons in our closets. I think all of us have secrets that we keep. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, that can manifest in physical manifestation, in physical form. Now what I'm not saying is that uh, all your sickness is because of sin. What I am saying is that unrepentant sin, besetting sin, can manifest itself in physical form. Where can we find that in the Bible? If we look back, let's look at uh, David in Psalms and we can kind of look at what he was going through. Um, David's background on this is he's looking at uh, his sins that he committed beforehand and he's coming to God because he kept it from God. He did not confess his sins and, and it's getting to him and it's, fill, it's making his bones ache. So I want, I want us to go through that and, and kind of just, just see what kind of things that he was going through. So Psalms 32, uh, verse three to four. For when I kept silent, I didn't say anything, I didn't confess. My bones 
wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. It's kind of like now, it's hot. And then he said, Selah, pause, think about this. Pause and think about this. Pause and think about this. Now, I don't know what you've been going through. I don't know what you have in your life, but I don't know if you can even say that you're exhausted. Maybe you are. Maybe you're like David. Maybe you feel yourself in David. And God is asking you to pause and think about this. What does it mean for us to confess our sins to God? So that's one of the things I wanted to say is pause, Salah, think about it. Don't rush. Most of the time we rush. So let's pause and think about as we read things or text, uh, text from scripture, pause and think about it. Have you been tired lately? Are you hungry? Maybe you're, maybe you're so exhausted you can't even utter words for it. You don't even have words for what's going on. And the invitation here is that come to me, pray with me, have a covenant with me. See, God didn't leave David in that situation and God will not leave you in that situation. My encouragement to you is that are you coming to God? Are you confessing to God? If we look back or if we look further along verse five, the resolution happens. David says, I acknowledge my sin to you to God, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. In verse seven, he continues, you are my hiding place. You will preserve me from trouble. You will surround me with songs of your deliverance. And again, he says, Selah pause and think about it. I'm gonna keep saying that to you today, pause and think about it. Because our society is so fast. One of the things that I've noticed, and I don't know if you have, now I grew up in the 90s. Uh, I know I, some, some of you probably were born in the 90s. Um, I don't know if you still remember the Dewey Decimal System. Is that, is, does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah? So, <laughs> when, when I remember when I had to do a research and I actually had to go to the library, look at the Dewey Decimal number and say, you know what, I need that. And then take out the book, right? And then Xerox it. And then sometimes I'm gonna mess up. And I'm like, oh man, that's like a couple of cents. I need that. <laughs> Dang. And, and so, 
but now, but now, you can click at a PDF file, and if it takes like 18 seconds, I'm saying, I don't want that anymore. That's taking forever. We're, an impatient, we're constantly being impatient. We are being groomed to be impatient. So my encouragement is pause. Say la, think about it. Pause. Pray. Commune. So David knows what it, what it means to confess. He knows what it means to keep a secret. Now, James, um, James Pennebaker, a psychologist, actually did a study on confession, and this is what he said about confession. Any type of open and truthful disclosure reduces stress and helps individuals come to terms with their behavior. It's, it is not coincidental that some of the powerful people or institutions in many cultures encourage people to confess their transgressions. And there is very strong evidence that writing about upsetting experiences or dark secrets can benefit your mental and physical well-being. That secular world basically saying what David said. Confess our sins. Bring it to light. Now, confession doesn't just happen out of whim or to just anyone that we're going to see. Now, confession happens with mature Christians. That's why there are leaders um, in your local church. That's why James fervently and I and Randall and, and everyone in Gray City fervently pray that you know the importance of belonging to a local church. There is accountability. There is family. Because this is a church family concern as well. That if you're struggling, we're struggling. If you're cheerful, then we're singing praise. And even if it's mediocre vocal instrument, we're, we're going to keep singing. That's from the last week. So if you haven't heard it, uh, go back and listen to that again. Tim Keller puts it this way regarding confession. To lose our grip on the costliness of forgiveness will result in a superficial, perfunctory confession that does not lead to any real change of heart. There will be no life change. I want to read that again. There will be no life change. To lose our gri grip on the freeness of forgiveness, however, will lead to continued guilt, shame, and self-loathing. There will be no relief. Only when we see both the freeness and the costliness of forgiveness will we get the relief from the guilt as well as the liberation from the power of sin in our lives. That's the only way. That's the only way. One of the things that sin comes into us or shows itself is its garb, its garb in, in beautiful adornments. It may look pleasing at a time, at that time. Thomas Menton, a Puritan clergyman, said something about um, confession, and it's amazing. It's graphic, but it's amazing. So I want us to look at that. 
Um, if we're going to look at that, I want to look at his uh, definition of confession. So this is by Thomas Manton. And it may be coming up here so you can read with me. But confession is an act of mortification. That's just putting death to sin. In it, it is, as it were, the vomit of the soul. Vomit of the soul. It breeds a dislike of the sweet morsels when they are cast up in loathsome ejections. Sin is sweet in commission, but bitter in remembrance. God's children find that their hatred is never more keen and exasperated against sin than in confessing. Now, I don't know what kind of sins you struggle with, but what I do know for my own spiritual life, sin can come as a pleasure in the beginning, but it has so much collateral damage that we don't even realize. And that's why James comes back to confession. James brings us back to community. The next couple of verses, he talks about confessing with one another and praying for one another, right? What's the implication of that? That community, community is important. Not only that, but confession happens with people that you trust, not just random people, but also that confession happens where prayer happens as well because there is grace for the sinner and there is forgiveness for your sins. So let's read back to Luke because I want to go back to Luke before we go back to James. I know we're jumping around, but I want to frame this for you. This is the story that Jesus talks about prayer before we get back to James. This is going to be verse 5 through 10. So if you have your Bible scanned, we're going to go back to Luke chapter, five, um, chapter 11, verse 5 to 10. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come on a journey and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed and I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of his friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. That, that verse 9, everyone quotes that. And yet they forget that there's a story and there's a parable before that. Now, what is some of the things that we can miss in the story? One, um, uh, in the older days, when they had um, hospitality or when they had guests, they were compelled to bring the guest in, right? And if in those settings as well, they only had one room. So their living room, their bedroom, their kitchen are all in the same room. So it's midnight. So that means they already had their bedroom set up and their kids are already sleeping in that room. So when the friend comes and knocks, he's not only waking up his friend, he's waking up every single person in that room. 
Secondly, bread is usually done in the morning, right? And they only do um, what's needed for the day because they didn't have any electricity, no refrigerator, and they didn't have a 24-hour Walmart open during that time. So it's hard, right? This guy is asking for a lot. What does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? He said, because of your shameless audacity. Another way to translate that is your persistence. Another way is to keep your name intact. Now, it may look like, it may seem that his shameless audacity is the one that, that made the friend give the bread. It can. You can translate it that way, but I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. Now, the shameless audacity can happen because the friend wants to ask, right? Because he wants to be hospitable to his other friend. But the persist- persistence or the name that they want to keep intact is from the neighbor itself. The concern is from the neighbor itself. Now, how much more is God going to offer and give you what you need? Not because of your shameless audacity, but because of his namesake. Because of how much he glorifies his name. How much he loves you because of Jesus. Jesus says, come to me in shameless audacity, but your audacity is not because of your works, it's because of mine. So you come to me in shameless audacity. You come to me in grateful obedience. You come to the throne, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has already done in his finished work. Jesus is so much better than that sin. Guys, one of the things that I want to remind you is that Jesus is not just an example for you to follow. Because if he is, then he becomes a burden that you'll never achieve. Friends, Jesus is so much more than that. Jesus is the man who came and said, I'm going to take your place. I'm going to come right down there. I'm going to come from my mountain and I'm going to take your place. Know that. Seek that in your heart. It's not just an example. He actually came and switched places with you for what we deserve. There's real life change in that when you see him that way. So we continue with the story. So Jesus tells tells us how to pray. The prayer is never about our strength, but it's always about him. So James continues um, how we can continue to pray and how we can continue to bring back persons who have wandered, right? Because now as we're looking at James, we're looking at, okay, he told us about the prayer, the power of prayer and how we're confessing to people and confessing with community. And then he gave us an example with Elijah. Elijah, who has a nature like ours. Now, what does he mean by that? Now, I don't know if you've grown up in church and you know the story of Moses, Noah, and David or Samson. But if you did... It almost feels like they're the heroes of the story, that they wore the cape. But that's never about them. The story, as you continue the story, is all about God's redemption. They're never perfect, just like we are. We're never perfect. And that's why James continues to uh, go to his audience and say, your nature is just like Elijah. Elijah called fires from heaven 
And yet, and yet, right after he ran and was scared and, and hid. So how many times have we seen God's glory happen in our lives and then the next day forgot about it? The one thing that we do know, that I do know, is that we all wander, that we all stray. And that's why he continues with that. And as we close out, where I want to close out and read 19 through 20, he said, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. So if James talks about prayer, Jesus talks about how to pray, James comes back and says confession with the community is important. James then tells us as he closes out the book without any frills, not like Paul, he just says, you know what? You're gonna wander. We're all gonna wander. But what I want you to remember is that someone should bring them back. As a church, family, church, I'm talking to you now, just crazy city. This is a church family concern. If someone wanders from our family, we bring them back. We woo them back. We come to them. We tell them, come back. Now, how do we do that? And that's the question. How do we do that? And the Bible is clear about how do we do that. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brethren or brothers and sisters, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you are also tempted. So we bring them back in gentleness. We come to them in gentleness. In 1 Peter 4, 8, this is an amazing verse, so I, I would have you guys look in your Bible or in your app where you can follow here. It says this, above all, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. How do we love? Once we realize that we were loved first. once we realize how much Jesus loved us. Here are some of the thoughts that I wanted to, for you to remember. One, and if you have a pen right now, I encourage you to write this down. The gospel captures the heart more than my will can. The gospel captures the heart more than my will can. And secondly, I want to go through a few things and we have a few minutes to go through this. And because since we're talking about prayer and you're probably wondering, how can I pray then? You know, one of the things that's amazing that God's provision has done, we have a preaching team um, meeting. It's me, Randall, Matt, um, Trevor, and a couple of our interns, uh, Gendarm and Steven. And this was not planned. But when we ended last week, or this week, we ended on prayer. So God's provision and timing is amazing. The Holy Spirit is listening and is waiting for us to dwell with him. So when we were reading about prayer, uh, Tim Keller uh, had some suggestions on how to pray. And we're gonna go through it one by one. But as we do that, 
we're actually going to do it today as we do our communion. There's nothing new, so don't, don't worry. It'll be easy. First one, reading and listening. So we read a slow, gentle reading of the scripture. Repeatedly. And we're looking for things that we haven't seen yet. We're looking for things. We're trying to feel scripture. We're reading it. We're trying to taste who God is. So we read it, right? Secondly, we meditate. We meditate on the scripture. We take each verse and we ask these questions. One, how can this lead me to adore God? Two, how can we confess sins because of this verse? Three, how can I petition for grace? And four, how is Jesus the ultimate reason for the solution of this sin, for my particular sin? And one thing I added there was Selah, pause and think about it. Selah, pause and think about it. And then three, and that's when we're going to start coming to communion, is to pray. So once you're engaged, you pray. Once you're engaged in scripture, you respond with that. And then four, there's contemplation or sensing. Now this can happen um, in any one of the steps. You contemplate with it. Now there's gonna be two verses two, um, in Ephesians that Paul has done such a great job. He was praying for the church of Ephesus, but it, it, it will help us today. So here's what I want us to do. Here's what I want us to do. If you have your family here today, read the scripture with them. If you have your friends here today, read the scripture with them. If you're, not, if you're by yourself, join a group. But if you wanna be by yourself, it's okay as well. Okay? Here's, here's one thing I wanna kinda lay before you. That praying is not about the person next to you, it's about you and God. So I know there's a tendency to kind of feel anxious or self-conscious about this. But one thing I want to do is to make you uncomfortable, not for this, the sake of being uncomfortable, but for you to wrestle with the Holy Spirit and lead him, not I, not anyone in this stage, but have the Holy Spirit lead you on how to respond. So we're going to bring it up. First one is going to be Ephesians 1 verses 15 to 23. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, open it together. And then uh, the second one will be Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 through 20. I'm not gonna read it um, to, with you because I want you to read it yourself and follow those four steps. You read, you meditate, you pray, and then you contemplate. Now, we're going to tie this back in with communion. Now, as the band starts to come up, um, we're going to continue in our sermon as well. So if you have your friends, again, don't rush to get out of your seats and get the communion. Read it. Say la, think about it, pause, and then engage with scripture. And when you're ready, when you feel you're ready, come up and take the communion. Okay? And then I'll come back 
um, and then we can close out together. So if you've read the verse, here's my encouragement to you. Pause and think about it and pray. So here's what we have today uh, during our time of communion. We have our prayer team ready to pray with you. Um, you have your family with you to pray with you as well. You have people right next to you maybe who needs prayer. So reach out to them. And if you're feeling alone, if you feel isolated, um, we're here. I'm here. Randall's here. So come to us and we can come to God together. Now we move into a time of communion. It is a time of prayer. Notice that every word, community, communion, commune, comes back to God. So as you've read the verses, and when you're ready, please, the communion sacraments are here and they're ready for you. And what I suggest, you take it, take it slowly and pray. We love you guys. And that's never been more apparent to me than it is right now. My heart moves uh, by the Spirit because of you. So let me pray just to close us out. And then you come up when you're ready. Father, We are thankful for the book of James and that we've traveled and journeyed together in that. Lord, I pray that um, that it's never about the person standing here in this pulpit, but it's always about you. Lord, I pray that people here probably are hurting. They're probably uh, in the midst of a storm right now. Lord, I pray that you bring your Holy Spirit and guide them and heal them and you save them you redeem them not us Lord I pray for those hearts that are just unsure of what what you are or who you are Lord I pray that you reveal yourself to them so Lord as we move into communion I pray that people will wrestle with your words but Lord, mostly I pray that they find worship and grace that you offer. Father, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And we lift this up in your name, in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.